0: It's Wednesday, November 3rd. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Vaccine mandates continue to be a problem for many companies that contract with the federal government. The clock is ticking with the December 8th deadline and thousands of employees have yet to be vaccinated. Many are requesting exemptions for religious and medical reasons, and others are readying to file lawsuits in opposition. Tina, Bilan reporter at Reuters, joins us for the rebellion over these mandates. Next, we've been hearing a lot about the Great Resignation and its effects on the job market. Right now, the normal rules don't apply. In some cases, people have quit their jobs and found better ones, many finding success with gig jobs. Employers desperately seeking for new workers aren't worried about gaps in your resume, as people are looking for their first post-pandemic jobs outside of what they did before 2020. Carla Miller, work advice columnist at the Washington Post, joins us for more. Finally, this year's Thanksgiving dinner is going to be very expensive. Pretty much every ingredient and other components like the disposable aluminum roasting pan is gonna cost more or be harder to find. The usual suspects are responsible for this. Supply chain issues, transportation costs, and labor shortages. Kim Severson, national food correspondent at the New York Times, joins us for why you should shop smart and early for Thanksgiving. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in.
1: We're a government contractor, and you're right. There's an executive order that mandates uh, that our employees be vaccinated. So we're going to do everything that we can, our best efforts, to comply with that uh, executive order. Joining
0: us now is Tina Bellin, reporter at Reuters. Thanks for joining us, Tina. Thanks for having me. Well, vaccine mandates are still a big thing. There's a lot of opposition to them, and uh, deadlines are starting to come pretty soon. So... The, one of the big deadlines we're looking at is December 8th, and this is the deadline for contractors, federal contractors working with the government. And we're seeing a lot of pushback for companies that, that do contract work with the federal government, things like Boeing, a lot of these, these types of companies like that. And, you know, they're saying that we could lose a lot of people uh, over this. So, Tina, help us walk through something. What are we seeing out there?
2: Yeah, so it's true. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people might not be aware about how close this deadline is. So December 8th, every company that wants to keep having contracts with the government, and those are a lot of companies, you know, also a lot of smaller companies, they need to show that all of their workers are um, fully vaccinated. And fully vaccinated under the guidelines means you have to have had your last COVID shot two weeks prior to December 8th. You know, and so that means if you essentially look at some of these vaccines taking two shots, that people need to start getting vaccinated basically right now for those that don't have a vaccine yet. Um, so the deadline is fast approaching, and these companies are really, uh, you know, like uh, struggling to figure out how to handle this because at some of the companies um, that I have spoken to, uh, you know, nearly 50% of the b- workforce remains unvaccinated. So it's, um, It's a large pool of workers we're talking about, and companies have the ability to give um, exemptions on religious grounds or for health reasons. And the Biden administration has signaled that there is some flexibility um, that the companies have on that part. But it's really tricky for companies to navigate. And so, um, you know, our reporting has shown that they're all really struggling to, to figure out how to go through this.
0: You know, a little bit more on that timeline that you were talking about, right? getting closer and closer to it, it's almost edging out Moderna. Like you can't even uh, think about possibly getting that one because those uh, shots are given four weeks apart. So you might be over the timeline on that one. So even your own personal choice, if you want to get, you know, Pfizer or Moderna, you know, that that's kind of uh, that that window is closing pretty quickly. And for a lot of the opposition, we keep hearing a lot of the same people. uh, At least this is coming from union leaders People aren't necessarily opposed to the vaccine. They just don't want to be told what to do. They don't want government to mandate this for them.
2: That's true. So we have heard from the workers that um, my colleague and I have spoken to that, you know, a lot of this is just um, defiance of of kind of what they perceive as the government, you know, meddling in your in your personal um, health choices. That's not to say that there are also a lot of workers who, you know, refuse to get a vaccine on various grounds, you know, whether they believe that the vaccine is actually not as effective as it is, in fact, or um, they believe even some misinformation. Like I've spoken to some workers, you know, um, who believe that vaccines um, cause certain diseases that have been shown not to be caused by vaccines, you know, so there's, there's a broad mix. Um, of i think opposition to this but yes i have also um especially union leaders have told me that uh, frequently this is all just a refusal to to do what the government is mandating you to do
0: for a lot of people who want to go through the religious exemption route they're finding it pretty tough to get those you know we did a couple stories on the podcast already about how much latitude businesses really have when they're they're mandating this stuff and you know, how easy it is for them to refuse based on religious preferences. And even they can probe, you know, ask you, how religious are you? How often do you go to church? And that was some of the cases that you found with people that you spoke to as well. They were kind of annoyed that they were being quizzed so much, but that is all in the purview of these businesses.
2: That's correct. So the the federal guidance uh, from, you know, from the Biden administration is very murky about how exactly companies enforce these exemptions. So it's pretty much left up to the companies and their HR departments. And uh, yeah, I've spoken to um, a few workers, um, mainly in Kansas, um, who work for, um, you know, airplane suppliers, their Textron and um, Spirit Aero Systems, And they have said that when they filed for religious exemptions, that they were really asked for the name of their church leaders, Uh, One person even said they were asked to provide a witness to testify that uh, this person is actually going to church uh, on a regular basis. They were asked about, um, you know, whether they would also not use other drugs um, such as ibuprofen that also use uh, fetal cell research um, in the development. So there's yeah, it's it's, it's a very, you know, detailed line of questioning that um, is broadly left up to the companies to to navigate. There's still a lot
0: left to go on this topic. Tina Villan, reporter at Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thanks so much. We're seeing more job hopping, more people taking gig jobs. We've seen some gaps in people's resumes because they had to take time off to take care of their family or they were out sick or they got furloughed for a while. These are all these are all things that are happening to workers.
0: Joining us now is Carla Miller, work advice columnist at the Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Carla.
1: Thanks for having me, Oscar.
0: We've been hearing a lot about the great resignation and uh, you know, people just quitting their jobs, not happy with the current situation, looking for something better. A number of reasons why people aren't going back to the original jobs before the pandemic, things like that. One of the curious things I've always wondered is, you know, so we hear a lot about people leaving their jobs and finding better things. That's so great. And Carla, your latest column is all about that and talking about how the rules, the traditional rules have changed really. And, you know, employers aren't looking at a lot of the same things. So if you have gaps in your resume, that might not even be a problem anymore because there's such a a worker shortage in a lot of industries. So, Carla, tell us what you're uh, learning from all this.
1: Yeah, so um, th- that is true. A lot of the rules that we were taught growing up about uh, how to how to succeed in business and how to get ahead and how to build a career, right now they're, they're kind of on hold. I wouldn't say they've been obliterated forever, but um, with the pandemic, um, we're seeing more job hopping, more people taking gig jobs. We've seen some gaps in people's resumes because they had to take time off to take care of their family or they were out sick. Or they got furloughed for a while these are all these are all things that are happening to workers and it's it whereas before it would have been something you'd be nervous about having on your resume uh, in 2020 2021 it's not that uncommon and it's not likely something that you're going to get dinged for when you're looking for a new position employers are going to look at that period on your resume and say oh that was the pandemic right okay
0: the words that stuck out to me were transition resume that, you know, really a lot of the things that were happening during the pandemic, you know, they're either going to overlook or uh, have that understanding that it was a tough time.
1: Yes, exactly. That came from Lauren Milligan, who who runs a company called resumeday.com And she's seeing a lot of the, the front lines of what people are putting on their resumes and the, the con- concerns that they have about talking about their work history. And many of them are transitioning either, they are transitioning from a job that doesn't exist anymore to something new, or they had time off during the pandemic and started really thinking about what they want out of life and different direction that they might like to go in. And so some folks are training for new skills or they're starting that business that they've always wanted to do, but never had time for. And so those are are some of the reasons also that they're making these transitions.
0: Tell me, because you talk to a lot of people, tell me a a couple of success stories, I guess, where people did leave their current jobs and found something better because in a lot of cases, people were leaving their jobs for mental and physical health reasons, you know, being overworked. was something we heard so much about.
1: Some folks are, they were driven out of their old jobs or they left them voluntarily because they couldn't handle the stress. And they've taken on lower stress jobs at, for example, retail outlets, um, which can always use uh, more workers at this time, or they are doing more freelance work or picking up gigs, doing stuff that wasn't necessarily related to their previous job, but they're much happier about it. One of the workers I wrote about this week was a forklift operator working under just brutal conditions over the summer in a warehouse, insanely long weeks, high temperatures, and a very unsympathetic management. He quit, he's working gig jobs now, and he said, he realizes it's not sustainable forever, but he and his girlfriend are both doing gig work and they're much happier and their relationship is better and they're just more at ease and more relaxed with themselves. And eventually they'll probably pick up and try to find something more steady and full-time, but they're, they are happier now. I heard from a lot of retirees, people who weren't planning to retire for another five or ten years, but with the pandemic and the pressures of the job or if they got laid off, they, they crunched some numbers and they realized, you know, I, I can't afford to retire now if I want to. I, I will have enough in retirement or I'm not going to make that much more if I if I stick with it till 70. So they went ahead and retired. And I heard from one gentleman who has been traveling across the country, uh, attending baseball games, do, doing a road tour and, and seeing professional baseball games that he didn't get to see. He's visiting family and attending family events that he wouldn't have been able to before when he was working. A um, lot of retirees are, are finding themselves surprisingly happy, um, even though they're retiring sooner than they right. intended, they're able to get by.
0: One of the things you wrote about was company loyalty and how it does go both ways, and a lot of people you know were sticking with the jobs they might not have been happy with or just grueling uh, hours or whatever it might be because they were loyal to the company that might have been good to them before, and a lot of times they might have left because they weren't feeling that anymore and you know on the other side of it, it did benefit them
1: yeah that that, that is something that's absolutely happening that um loyalty. As a concept it, it's a nice concept and you want to say "Oh, the company's good to me I'll be good to the company they take care of my needs and I do a good job for them more and more people are seeing it more in a transactional sense I do this work for you you pay me for this work and they're they're sort of letting go of those feelings of oh we're a family or I really need to give them my all or they need extra from me I mean there are people who are going to do excellent work no matter what that's just that's just how they're wired but I think more and more people are realizing it It really is a transactional situation. It is you, you were hired to do a job. You do the job. You get paid for it. And you know, you get compensated accordingly. And if it's demanding more from you than you are receiving or if it's taking a toll on you physically and mentally that isn't worth the money you're getting, people are opting
0: out. Carla Miller, work advice columnist at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
3: Turkey prices, let's talk about that first. Um, the the USDA benchmark price for turkeys right now is probably within a month uh, going to be uh, at its record Hi. Joining us now
0: is Kim Severson, National Food Correspondent at the New York Times. Thanks for joining us,
3: Kim. Ah, oh, My pleasure.
0: Let's talk about Thanksgiving. This time around, it seems that a lot of people are saying this might be the most expensive Thanksgiving. You know, there's always been problems. Last year, we saw problems with uh, turkeys. This year, we've been talking a lot about supply chain issues, things like that. And Thanksgiving is going to be affected as well. Pretty much every single thing that you'll Put on that Thanksgiving table or in preparation for your Thanksgiving meal is kind of affected throughout all of this. So, uh, Kim, help us walk through some of this. What are we going to see this year at the Thanksgiving table?
3: Well, that's what, that's what makes this year so interesting. Um, you know, the price of a Thanksgiving meal and the Agriculture Department and the Farm Bureau always do a little estimate. You know, they buy the same goods every year and it goes up and down. Sometimes turkey prices are really... Uh, Uh, in the tank which was the case last year people couldn't get small turkeys everybody was at home you'll remember this and so there was a real run on the eight nine ten pound turkeys Um, but there were a lot of turkeys produced not as many people were celebrating so there were some um, a lot of turkeys on the market prices were low Um, and we certainly saw some you know panic buying and things last year but the the meal the pressure on the actual meal wasn't that Strong this year, it's a complete uh, one eighty so turkey prices let's talk about that first um the the usDA benchmark price for turkeys right now is probably within a month uh going to be uh, at its record high, which was set in two thousand and fifteen a dollar thirty six cents a pound um already, you know turkeys are twenty five cents a pound more than they were a year ago, so you have that main protein. High and you know the and, cost of the
0: and real quick and the interesting thing about the turkey uh, prices is it's largely because of the price of corn. Right. It's so hard to connect the dots in a lot of these things. That's why you know this whole year has been kind of a class on supply chain stuff. But turkeys are more expensive because of corn.
3: Right. The price of corn more than doubled, and there's some soybeans that that turkeys eat too that also uh, went up that much. So cost more to feed turkeys also you know, and this is true for almost all farmers, there's there's labor issues, um, particularly at the turkey processing plants. But you think about all the little things that it takes to take, for example, like sweet potatoes from North Carolina, where which grows uh, most of the sweet potatoes in this country, and get them uh, you know, to Cleveland, Ohio. So you can't get wooden pallets because the COVID shut down the production of the few plants that make those wooden pallets uh, that you load into trucks, right? The big cardboard, uh, cor- corrugated cardboard cartons that they load the sweet potatoes into send to the distributors, those have double or triple the in value. The cost of cardboard is just crazy. Yeah. So then if you get the sweet potatoes to the distributor, now trucking costs are twice as much because they don't have as much truckers, as many truckers, and the cost of energy is up 25%. So all these little things add up along the way. So that sweet potato you see at the grocery store, it may only seem like it's going to be, you know, maybe 10, 15 cents more a pound and may not seem like a big deal to some people, but, you know, people on a food budget, that all adds up for Thanksgiving dinner.
0: Exactly. Tell me a little bit about the premiumization of Thanksgiving ingredients, because a lot of big chains and companies are, are still betting that people want these kind of elevated ingredients. And obviously, those cost more uh, just as a default.
3: Right. Premiumization is just a, um, I find I find a fascinating marketing concept and it kind of got really popular among um makers of, of alcohol so that's when you got into like a great goose vodka or premium tequilas and this idea was take a product that you can um, elevate a little either either through maybe how it's processed you know it's not marginally that much greater than something else but people will pay a little more money to feel like they're getting something special right so that's happening with turkeys this year i spoke with one of the head executives at Kroger. uh, And he said they're really uh, anticipating because people aren't spending as much money at restaurants and they're feeling the need for something special. So they're looking for a turkey that might have the word heritage on the label or be air chilled or organic or, um, you know, processed in some way that is beyond that kind of big, hard, frozen lump turkey that used to be well, still is popular you know they'll sell it as <laughs> right. a loft later really cheap in the supermarket so the premiumization of thanksgiving this year means that people with some money will want to spend more on ingredients that are perceived to be a little bit better and maybe they are i don't know but um as a marketing concept premiumization i'm, I'm kind of obsessed with it now yeah definitely kim
0: severson food correspondent at the new york times thank you very much for joining us
3: have a good thanksgiving